So today we're live at Baldwin and Company here in the great and beautiful, wonderful, warm city of New Orleans, Louisiana. So if you hear some background noises from the people, from the streets, from the sirens, it's because we're keeping it 100 with our guest today, Kelly harris DeBerry. Say hi to the folks, Kelly. Hi. Hello. How's everybody doing today? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very, very first episode of Get in the Cypher. I am Christina Jones, your intrepid podcast host, (laughs) also known as the chief of a new thing called Cypher 360. And this podcast is aligned with our philosophy that we are co-conspiring with community to create change. And really what we're talking about today, we have Kelly harris DeBerry here with us to talk about her journey as an author, as a educator as a creative writer and her thoughts and takes on literacy and how we can increase folks literate understanding of the word (laughs) um, and how uh, we can change the way we teach to reach more students and really also about the problem that we were facing which is that we're becoming less literate and not more literate even in the age of the constant text message and so uh, and i'm going to <laughs> kelly why don't you introduce yourself to the people and tell them a little bit about yourself well thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be in this cypher with you today my name is kelly harris deberry um, many people may know me as Naomi's mom or Jarvis's wife, but I am my own person as well. And I am a writer. I've been a writer for a very long time, although it took me a while to really affirm that and claim that for myself. And I have a small business that I run helping artists think about and strategize who they are and how they can be in the world, right? Because although you're an artist, one size doesn't always fit all everything you know everybody's trying to do their thing or get on or whatever and so part of my job is just to find the right fit for you and so I've been working at trying to find the right fit for myself and as I have gotten clarity over the years in my life I've been able to produce some things that I'm proud of one being this new book Freedom Knows My Name the story I think for me the book is really about how black women are oftentimes sacrificing for the collective, for the collective freedom. And inside of that, they often postpone their own freedom journeys, the things that they may want to do. And so although we do need to be a collective and work as a unit, I often find that women are often feel left behind, myself included at different times in my life. And so how do I balance the work of the community with also my own personal desires and dreams and talents that I have also with motherhood and educating and all of that. So that's kind of who I am. But today we're talking about literacy and young people. And so, so let me give you all a little uh, snippet of how this will go. This thing is called getting the cipher, right? So a lot of this will (laughs) flow organically off the dome. Like we were standing on the corner of the street, like we have, you know, had a little pre-discussion. And so there's some things that we'll be talking today that I really think you all will appreciate. But you brought up something in your introduction that I want to talk about a little bit. This idea of being left behind, right? I think in some ways that dovetails with what we're seeing happening in schools with young people, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is that there are a lot of students who are being kind of left behind, um, either because they don't fit into the neat box of the sight word, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever book we have chosen, um, Mm -hmm. and they're not really making a connection, and they're left behind. And so... One thing that we've been talking about recently with Nicole Shabazz will be on mm-hmm. another episode is this idea of the reluctant reader versus the reader sure. who doesn't have quite the skills yet. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this idea of left behind from the perspective of those two types of readers. Yeah. You know, I was thinking on my way over here,
hear about what happens kind of once you get in fourth grade or so, there's a drop off and a focus on reading and you start to transition into other subjects. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have like your foundational skills of reading by, I would say, third grade the curriculum is moved on to other things. And so you're being left behind, although you're also being asked to be literate, right? Um, Whether it's through word problems, whether it's in writing essays, all of a sudden you are expected to be able to write small paragraphs, regardless of if you read well or not. And so I have to go back to early childhood literacy because that is really a key and a foundation you know phonetical awareness being able to sound out words all of those things and so when we talk about children being left behind they're left behind because of a variety of reasons some of the reasons why they're left behind is because the teacher isn't able to adapt to that student we were talking off mic about the culture of new orleans and how if you for example teach history you may have a master's in history you may have done you know great work in college around history but when you come into the classroom you're not able to translate that knowledge to students in a way that they can that it can be practical for them or that they can understand it you have a, a degree in history but you don't have a degree in or a focus in history around Congo Square around the culture of New Orleans and so how are you able to tie in history in a way that young and particularly black kids and kids of color can understand and can relate because I think we always bring a a pre-knowledge into our reading so they're left behind for that they're left behind because of social and economical issues right when you look at poverty we know that Poverty and low-level reading are always connected, right? Poverty is always a barrier to reading. And then I also think that just simply not having the right tools available to young people. I'm so happy now to see this kind of just surge of black children's books because I rem- I can I remember a few mm-hmm. growing up but I don't remember just the the range that we have now and so being able to get books to kids at an early age being able to model reading what do our children see when they're at home Are, is everybody just on the te- watching tv is everybody just on the tablet uh, so you have those challenges that I think are some of the reasons that kids are being left behind. And then you could probably speak to this a lot better than I can. But just the, the gap of the strained relationships often between teachers and parents often plays into those children being kind of falling through the cracks in the classroom. And there's probably tons of other and there are other um, reasons for that being left behind. But I think those are some of the reasons that we can certainly connect when we look at New Orleans and why young people are being left behind. It's because, you know, as we said earlier, people just generally adults aren't reading (laughs) anymore right right? and it's interesting because there every time I'm looking around somebody's coming out with a new book but if you look at the if you were to be a business person and look at need would it be a good investment to invest in books because nobody's reading at what we would think the pace is so we we have more books than we have readers right right but we should still be creating books writing books all of those kind of things. But I really think the key is getting books in the kids' hands early and having a love for reading because books are now in competition with tablets. 
Yeah, <laughs> I um, I saw someone say something about you know um, our generation A generation means the Xennials, which is you know us people who were born between <laughs> 1977 and 1983. That we had our grandparents and our parents to raise mm-hmm. us, and mm-hmm. this generation is being raised by the internet. Mm-hmm. And I would push back and say that many of us were raised by television. Yeah, like we you yeah. know we were latchkey mm-hmm. kids. Like mm-hmm. y'all don't get to be home by yourselves. We got to be at home by ourselves mm-hmm. at like eleven, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember the TV being a thing. And you know, like my great grandmother, she had a third grade education, right? Mm-hmm. But she made me read to her, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's some ways that we just are failing all the way around to build mm-hmm. relationships with people to mm-hmm. make them, to have them feel like they can trust what we're saying to them mm-hmm. that they have. Not only that they can do it, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of times we just, we focus so much on the deficit. That's what we talk about sure, in this work. Sure. Do, rather than the strengths, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you can recite a poem, mm-hmm. right? Then you have literacy skills, right? Mm-hmm. You have, mm-hmm. you have understand mm-hmm. and have cognitive ability, right? But we focus so much on whether you recognize this sight word. I think the other thing is that, like you said, we have to get books in kids' hands, but we also have to like do some reckoning, you know, mm-hmm. with between teacher and family, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of parents in this current younger parents generation have had terrible experiences with their teachers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Here in New Orleans, we know Act 91 <laughs> got rid of 80% of the educators mm-hmm. who happen to be black women, yeah. right? Who had a special skill set mm-hmm. in the city of New Orleans, mm-hmm. under-resourced mm-hmm. and probably with a not-so-great administration, which isn't much different than now, right? Yeah. And that makes people not trust the system. And then when you add to it the fact what you're talking about is like people not being able to bring down their high degree to the mm-hmm. ground mm-hmm. and not make the connection. Mm-hmm. The reality is when people don't have diverse experiences and are not mm-hmm. diverse themselves, they have mm-hmm. a really hard time connecting. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I think that we see this growing thing across the country in urban schools where teachers don't look like the students they mm-hmm. they serve. And, you know, when at my previous job, we would have said all teachers aren't culturally relevant because they're black and all Mm -hmm. teachers aren't culturally irrelevant because Mm -hmm. they're white. But I do think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think that all teachers, whether black or white, sometimes look at students who have, have, you know, experienced poverty from a deficit perspective. Right. And Mm -hmm. so they only treat the gifted kids, whether you're black or white, well. I think I'm a mom like time and shaker. Mm -hmm. The gifted kids, we had good teachers mm-hmm. i could name them off you i don't know what it was like and i think it's others. easier Except for my little brother yeah. you know his experience as a person in the sort of middle rung which i think a lot of mm-hmm. middle kids get left behind was that you weren't trouble and you weren't and you weren't gifted mm-hmm. and so you were all right and you checked mm-hmm. out at some point mm-hmm. and then you your skills declined you know yeah i think that's been sort of my observation yeah i think frederick Douglass said you know once you can read you're forever free and so i don't want to suggest that the fundamentals of reading aren't important. The phonetical awareness, you know, I, I think I said earlier that if you can, if you know how letters work, even if you don't know a word, you can sound them out. As a writer, I often say it's important to write well so that you will know how people edit you. You will, you know, if you don't write well, you'll be edited in ways that you don't want to be edited. Mm-hmm. And I think there's the same thing when we talk about reading, that reading gives our young people and all of us access to worlds and knowledge and wisdom and ways to do things and culture that we may not be able to 
access just as one person, mm-hmm. you know, but I can have 10 books on the table that are about cooking or, you know, Paris or, you know, whatever. And I can access knowledge and experience just through the exchange of books. You know, and, and we know that reading does have an enormous impact on young people. We look at Oprah, who talks about learning to read at three years old and, you know, the poverty that she came from in Mississippi and how reading totally transformed her life and gave her access and opportunity to the things that we know Oprah to be now. But also when we look at what she's been able to do for literacy, just in endorsing a book, right? Once you're on the, you know, you get the Oprah read sticker on your book, you're good to go, right? You know, mm-hmm. you can um, you can go, you can stop window shopping and go go really <laughs> buy that thing that you want to do because Oprah has endorsed it. Right. And so, reading, we know that reading can take us far. We know that you know you need reading to be an actor or an actress to be able to read script. You need reading for so many things, you and need so the reading to be able mm-hmm. to measure, like you were giving the example yeah. earlier about mm-hmm. teaching your daughter how to how to measure fractions, right? right fractions, fractions, all right? of those things. So. Yeah. So I think our young people need to see it as something bigger than just I need to pass a test or I have to answer this question. And that you know. has been the overemphasis, I think, yeah. on education altogether, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Kelly and I know each other pretty well. We're friends, <laughs> uh, just just, mm-hmm. just to let y'all know. We also have Cleveland in common. Both of mm-hmm. us have Cleveland roots. And we both have a uh, voracious love for reading. Started mm-hmm. off when we were very young, mm-hmm. spending our time in the library together. And we both had people who were like really engaging with us when it mm-hmm. came to reading. And I think about my grandfather, who was an educator, and his whole thing always was that like he wanted to help children to be successful in whatever they chose, mm-hmm. right? And so I watched him and his friends be educators, and they were such well, they took such well-rounded approaches mm-hmm. to everything, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that in our put it neatly in a box, make it fast, mm-hmm. McDonald's culture. Mm-hmm. We have microwaved education, right? Yeah. And so now it doesn't resonate with me as a human, right? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to resonate with me as a cog in a wheel. And I think we know when people feel like that, whether they're young or old, they check out. And I think even the way we teach reading, right? Mm-hmm. So like Cyber 360's foundation is literacy, which is why we're having these conversations about reading. And I think even the way we teach it, right? Like I remember... Mm-hmm. Like and it was sometimes painful to do the like the dissecting mm-hmm. of the word and like yeah. remembering the diagramming sentences yes. and everything. And my uh, partner in building brothers in power to teach, he makes this joke all the time about like indirect subject and direct subject. Take mm-hmm. out this one, and mm-hmm. then if it works, then it's fine, mm-hmm. you know. And I think to myself about like how easy it was for me to be able to figure out what is it right or wrong, what mm-hmm. it meant, because mm-hmm. I had those things. Mm-hmm. And now when I see children getting the sight word version and trying to help a young person read, right? But now they've had it as a sight mm-hmm. word. They can't sound out the word because they're yeah. not clear about does pH always sound like this and mm-hmm. when what instances does it not? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or if there mm-hmm. are instances, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, English language itself is tricky. It so tricks the eye, right. right? You know, phone. You know, oftentimes people, you know, young kids will think of it as an F. I have kept a lot of my daughter's earlier assignments where she's misspelling things and it's like huh 
That's how she hears that word. Seas is, is, is a word that comes up to my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the C-S-E-A. Mm-hmm. S-E-A, but she spelled it, you know, C, she hear a C, you know, and C-E-A, you know, mm-hmm. S. And so we, and then we, when you bring in regionalism into that where, you know, dialect and, you know, the aura as, you know, as often pronounced in New Orleans and all of those things go into how we engage or how we learn to read and and as we're talking about growing up in Cleveland and all those things like I didn't grow up with a lot of books in my house my folks I don't believe could make that financial investment to buy me tons of books we had the book fair and I get a little something for that but you know maybe I could buy a book and some stickers and maybe a pencil versus my daughter you know who has a bookshelf in her room and has books and she gobbles up books and all of those things but honestly I think I really started off loving to read or it was a practical that we had a book it program Mm -hmm. back in the day and so you know I grew up in East Cleveland where it was poor and you know all of that and so I would read all these books so I could get pizza coupons and so the more I read, the more I could actually help feed my family. Mm-hmm. So, like, I remember going to Pizza Hut with, like, a stack of bookets. And my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, we, we sat in Pizza Hut. And I paid for dinner. I must have been, I don't know, third grade. Mm-hmm. And I had, like, six of those bookit coupons that equaled whatever. And I was able to, I think, buy a, a large pizza and a, and a medium pizza. Mm-hmm. And we ate because yeah. I read. And so early on, that was that showed me that I don't need to just read to be reading. Like, this is, it was like my hustle, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly, you know, back then. And mm-hmm. so, and that went on for a while. And I remember, you know, my mom asking me, I think about fifth or sixth grade, what happened to that booking program? Because I wasn't bringing them. You know, we we needed something to eat. You know, she didn't want to cook. Right. And, right. you know, and I don't know what happened to the program. But I just remember that reading for me at that time was connected to eating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think that if we have more programs, like, and I'm seeing them pop up in the country where you have the Barbaras are now you know, giving discounts to the boys if they read or, you know, mm-hmm. you're getting something when you're in the chair, you know, some kind of educational aspect or incentive for reading. And obviously we should just read because we we love to read, but that's not the reality not for everybody. So it's if there are ways, very, mm-hmm. it's also a very middle class approach. to things. Mm-hmm. like, you know, like, well, you should just, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. you should just do this because X, X Y and Z or yeah. your parents should be able to do mm-hmm. this reading with you mm-hmm. every night because why mm-hmm. about that's not yeah. practical, yeah. right? And, yeah. there, you know, just like on the fellowship side mm-hmm. of this work, when I was working at Brothers in Power to Teach, we paid the fellows to consider mm-hmm. teaching, mm-hmm. right? Because we know they're struggling in college. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what happens when you give someone who has mm-hmm. another need an incentive mm-hmm. to do this other thing, sure. right? Sure. And they grow something organically, mm-hmm. right? You grew, mm-hmm. a, you grew a love of reading organically that mm-hmm. started off with a practical... I can buy this pizza for my family, mm-hmm. and this can be a treat for us today. Mm-hmm. 
that we would not normally be able to have because I was able to do this, right? Like, that's yeah. a big deal, right? Now, my grandmother's incentive was a little bit different because mm-hmm. they were told they couldn't read or they shouldn't read or, or reading was kept from them, mm-hmm. right? Or my grandmother, even a little bit of my mom's generation or some of her older sisters. And so they were like, you know, if white people tell us we can't do, they try to keep it from us. We want it. We mm-hmm. want everything white people trying to keep from us. Mm-hmm. And so that was their incentive, mm-hmm. you know? And so we have to keep in mind that everybody has kind of a trigger and a positive way of what makes them do something mm-hmm. or not right? right and so and we gotta um, try multiple mm-hmm, ways mm-hmm, right multiple mm-hmm, avenues it mm-hmm. just it's not as simple one size doesn't fit all and we see that happen sure, in sure. every day mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit can you tell us what's uh what is your uh give us two of your favorite books Tell us wow, two things that are your favorite. And it doesn't books. have to be in the top. It doesn't have to be DOA or nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just be- you know, off the top of my head, Sonia Sanchez's Home Girls or Hand Grenades mm-hmm. is, is definitely, read that in a long time. definitely up there. Anything by Toni Morrison is mm-hmm. Toni Morrison for me. So so those are like two that, that come to mind. But I also want to say in reading, you know, it's National Poetry Month. Happy National Poetry Month. And I have found that in some of the young people that I've mentored as young poets that only wanted to read poetry for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I just talked to one of my students who's now in high school, someone I taught back in the day in middle school, high school, helped her as a poet. Now the poetry was a ramp for her to other genres. So mm-hmm. now she's like, yeah, I'm reading this novel. You know, and I'm like, oh, you're reading novels now? You know, mm-hmm. but and so we have to figure out a way to just kind of get some of our young people on the ramp to reading right Uh, whether that's through you know comics kids like all sorts of stuff song lyrics reading even as encoding so young people may not want to read but they may want to make money Mm -hmm. so let's talk entrepreneurship let's talk about you know some of those things let's let's read on how to make some money right right Right. those types of things so i you know as i said earlier i think off mic we really have to think about expanding literacy to not just you know print and literacy as it pertains to books and schools but also media literacy also financial literacy you know cultural literacy and that the challenges of of literacy or illiteracy span I've seen it in, you know, young people. I've seen it in church Mm -hmm. where I've I've seen adults afraid to be engaged in Bible study because they're afraid they're going to be called on to read Mm -hmm. and they're afraid to be found out that they can't read. Mm -hmm. And so every day around us, we are engaging with people who are functionally illiterate Mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I used to be in one of my many jobs over the years. I was an ESL (laughs) teacher. And one of the toughest things about ESL is that folks are illiterate. They're not literate in their home language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So helping them learn how to speak English and be literate in English at the same mm-hmm. time was a real big challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed the challenge, but um, that was a real big challenge. And I think that we failed in, that in some ways being literate has become a luxury, right? Mm-hmm. Or it is a luxury. And I think I think this work that we're doing here, that you're doing, that we're doing at Cyber360 is crucial to helping people make that connection. And I just wanted to talk, you mentioned in your um, note that you wanted to, this idea of closing the gap between the reader and the writer. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, I find that too often writers are reading to people who have already bought into literacy or writing. Mm-hmm. Too often, you know, as a poet, I'm asked to read at a university or 
at some other program where people already love poetry and books. But recently I was at Melba's and there were like, I don't know, 80 plus a whole bunch of folks in there. Mm -hmm. And all of these people don't care if I have an MFA. They don't care if I went to college. They don't care about all of the things that in kind of the literacy or literary world, people look at your bio, all those, all those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. They care about, you know, what are you writing about? Mm -hmm. You know, one lady said, you got a poem for me. You got a Mm -hmm. poem for me. And I'm like, yeah, there's probably something in there for you. You know, that type of thing. And so I think that if we could get more writers connecting to the actual readers, Mm-hmm. Whether it be children's writers, poets, fiction writers, novelists, mm-hmm. I think that we can kind of have a, I think, a deepened conversation and experience about words and writing and language, right? Because all of this is also connected to language, how we experience language, what has been told to us, you know, just how people talk to you or talk to children can impact them for the rest of their lives, Mm -hmm. right? So into adulthood, you hear adults saying, somebody told me in the fifth grade that I wasn't ever going to be nothing or some teacher said this Mm -hmm. or that. And so inside of literacy is also language and misuse of language, right? Language Mm -hmm. We are all languaged, and um, Toni Morrison talks about that. You know, language can often be used as a weapon. And so how do we both have access to the written word? And Because really, those who master language really are... um, Rule the world. world. Yeah. I was just thinking about uh, what you said about language. I had this idea for a (laughs) t-shirt that someone probably already has. It says, your favorite rapper is a reader. Because I think Mm -hmm. about, you know... And I don't know if that's necessarily true of the newer mm-hmm. rappers because sometimes mm-hmm. I listen to their mm-hmm. songs and, I'm, and it's clear to me that there's a gap in mm-hmm. their liter- in their their mm-hmm. literacy rate. Yeah. Right? But I think about the hip hop artists we grew up listening mm-hmm. to, or like you know David Banner, right? Mm-hmm. David Banner is a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and Black thought you cannot right. it's just all the words right. that he's Jay-Z, putting in. Yeah. Yeah. That all these songs uh-huh. they read, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so I always think to myself, what would it be like if we made this connection between? The lyrics we're listening to and mm-hmm. what they mean. Because battle rap is one of my favorite things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It is highly misogynistic and it's a yeah. bunch of like, you know, yeah. dozens and ribbon, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the use of language and mm-hmm. the double entendres and the mm-hmm. metaphors mm-hmm. and the analogies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow. Right? Yeah. You can tell yeah. your favorite rapper is a reader. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we stop doing this thing where we like try to, it's kind of like in church, you know, you go to certain churches and sometimes <laughs> people are like, oh, you, you're not Christian enough to be in mm-hmm. here, you know, mm-hmm. you don't wear the right pants, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I heard you dated that woman once and you're mm-hmm. a woman, you can't be in this building, mm-hmm. right? I think the same thing happens with language, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are ways that we communicate with each other. You and I might talk to each other and we're not, mm-hmm. he, not mm-hmm. on this professional thing, right? Mm-hmm. My words are no less valuable. The context is no less important. It communicates no less than it did if I said it to you in my New York University. Well, black folks are always double talking. Right. Right. You know, it's almost like double Dutch. Mm -hmm. We are turning our culture and and the words on the street. And then we're also turning in this kind of education or whatever things that we've learned. And so we're always kind of Mm -hmm. having this kind of conversation with each other and with ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm teaching, I'm teaching, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm at home playing space, oh, it's a different Kelly that comes out, right? And I'm talking and, you know, smack talking, doing all this other stuff, right? So we all do it. We all do it. And so 
we have to acknowledge that in education as well. Yeah, I think um, I think we definitely have to acknowledge it in education. And I see why, you know, to me, connection means a lot in education. Like I have seen great teachers be able to motivate the most challenging students mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. what they view as challenging mm-hmm. to work. You know, the when my previous life at the, with the young people who teach mm-hmm. in college, right? They don't mm-hmm. necessarily have technical skills to be educators, mm-hmm. but for some reason, the relationship they're able to build, the child who's consistently kicked out of class mm-hmm. sees one mm-hmm. of those young people walk in the building and say, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I don't want to disappoint you. I'm going back to class. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to do X, Y and Z. Mm-hmm. I think that this is the same way we have to make this connection to, to reading for folks. And the written word, but I also think it's important that we acknowledge what you said, our pre-experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, too often I've heard, you know, I'm going to tell this story about this educator who I'm not going to name, but she has a Harvard master's degree. She's from New Orleans, right? She moved back. I think she's left again, but she moved back a few years ago and wanted to get a, a teaching job at one of our local schools. And somebody was making a joke about something real New Orleans. It's like they were talking about po' boys or something, right? And she was talking about, like, I think the lady was talking about, like, how, you know, you got to make sure that you get it at this time of day because it's fresh and the oil mm-hmm. is just put in there. She's like, you know, you can't handle burnt oil, right? And the lady who interviewed her wrote in her feedback that she didn't think she should be hired as a teacher because she did not know how to correctly pronounce oil versus earl, right? She was legit making a joke in this interview <laughs> with someone else who's from New Orleans and everybody laughed. But this person of color who was not from here mm-hmm. was concerned that this educator might use that word in contact in class mm. and mess up everybody's literacy. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, my grandfather used to jokingly, you know, use colloquialism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he go right back to the King's English, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. he made the connection for us. Yeah. And we have discounted the ability to make that connection, as you say, between the double mm-hmm. talk. Yeah. And I think we miss an opportunity to connect with people, whether they're students in our class or you're the barista at the coffee shop, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think one of the, the crazy things for me is how, in particularly black language lingo phrases, are dismissed are dismissed often and then next thing you know you see it in a commercial you know mm-hmm. like whoop there it is you know mm-hmm. or scoop there it is or whatever the commercial is now right? right how you know when it was just black folks using it it was beneath people it was uneducated but all of capitalism <laughs> really and you know commercials and all they're always pulling from the street language and the culture to sell us something Right. And so and to utilize our language. So our language is often, as we talked about earlier, I talked about earlier being language used against us. And at the same time, it is being used and misused for those who, who can make money off of it. You think that's why our language, our, our, our the slang terms we use constantly change. Like they change so quickly. Yeah. Like, yeah, fleek was a thing two yeah. years ago. If you said yeah. fleek, now it's going to be like, oh, yeah. this is a very white yeah. person moment. Right our language here. always becomes, you know? and our culture often becomes mainstream. But you know, and so somewhere, somewhere right now in a New Orleans street neighborhood, is some other words that we're not really hip to yet that is already in motion and is going to come up in the culture, right? And so really, we have this thing that language comes, you know, top down, but 
really language comes from the ground up Mm -hmm. and then the educators and the researchers and the scholars they study it you know and we become objects and you know subjects of of research and all that stuff and then there you go then they have a book and it's this whole thing right you see it with twerking and you know other things of that nature Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. and yet our young people who use this the culture and the language are not seen as a good student or that they are behind And so that is, that's a whole other topic about the politics of literacy. (laughs) I'm going to ask you one more question, then I'm going to ask you something fun. Then we're going to get on out here. Sure. So tell me three things. You've you've, you've helped little people to like adults Mm -hmm. become more literate, to be Mm -hmm. more interested in reading, develop their creative Mm -hmm. writing skills. Tell me three things that you, as an educator, do when you've assessed that someone's disconnected from reading or writing Mm -hmm. and you you want to re-engage them i find out what they like i find out what they would like to be better at don't even have to be reading Mm -hmm. and then thirdly i try to find something in a book that connects to those first two things that i do right so if if you like doing hair Mm -hmm. right this girl likes braiding then i know that i need to find some stories about black girl braiding or hair or something of that nature Mm -hmm. So I think finding out who the person is and listening to them first. Before mm-hmm. you can teach, you have to listen. Yeah, I think that's like the key to life. Huh? <laughs> listen listen first, respond mm-hmm. second, or mm-hmm. not we are we are we are born to respond and not yes. listen, right? The final thing that um I'd like to do is like tell me what you're listening to, music wise. It doesn't have to be new, it can be whatever, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. it can even be the last thing you listen to today. Tell me what's on your book what's in your pile of books right now that you're most interested in, like you're really excited about reading next if you haven't cra- mm-hmm. yet cracked the spine. And then I have one more question. We'll answer those two and then we'll... Uh, what was the first question? What am I listening to? Yeah, what are you listening to? I was listening to some Q-Tip on the way over here and some Isaac Brothers and uh, <laughs> Earth, Wind & Fire. You know, we just had the verses. So right. um, I was just going down memory lane with mm-hmm. some, some old and some old stuff. I don't listen to the radio too much, but I'm like old school hip-hop, mm-hmm. old school music. And I do like some new stuff, but yeah. yeah. And I know you have a pile of books that you are sorting. Tons of books, tons of books. So what is Um, one you're really? I'm I'm really still stuck on. I got away from it for a minute. I got interrupted with a couple things, but medical apartheid Mm -hmm. is really um, a book that. And now with this, you know, uh, pandemic that I I really feel strongly about. There's also a book called Men. Koya Fagan is her Mm -hmm. name. She's a poet. And her whole book is about the disservice and the the oppression that black women have with gynecologists over mm-hmm. the years. And so it's kind of a medical poetry book. I guess I'm looking you're at the, medical you're stuff the, You're now. in the medical stuff right now. And I'm also reading a lot about the housing market <laughs> right now because it's just blowing my mind. Some of the prices that I'm seeing in New Orleans... I just it's just blowing my mind. So I'm I'm reading a lot about real estate and investment because I think I'm at an age where I need to think about some kind of investment, even if it's small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I you know I I consider myself a retired community development investment banker, and for the last two years, I think I've been saying the market's going to (laughs) crash. The way it's looking with the economy versus crime, etc. There's actually a lot of stock on the market here. So that's an aside. It has nothing to do with today's podcast. I'm just giving y'all. 
little extra, you know, whatever. And I saw here, there's a couple more things. I saw mm-hmm. here that you recommended some books for folks to sure. uh, read. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to post them as your post sure. uh, your post interview. Like, here's some recommendations yeah. from Arthur Kelly mm-hmm. to uh, read. And the last thing I wanted to ask you is, if you had one wish for the children of New Orleans or the children mm-hmm. across the country who are currently in school, what would that wish be? Can it be wishes? It can be okay. wishes. I get you three. Neighborhood schools, black teachers, safe neighborhoods, a safe city. That sounds good to me. Kelly, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us you. today. It thank has been you. a real pleasure getting thank to talk you. to you. Thank and you. Uh, yeah, man, I'm really excited about my first <laughs> podcast. You are tuned in to Get in the Cipher. I'm your host, Christina Jones, uh, your intrepid podcast host. And today we're here with Kelly Harris DeBerry author, writer, mom to Naomi, and debut book, Freedom Knows My Name. Check it out at your, on, at your local bookstore first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes. then you can go to them other people. Have a good one, y'all. <laughs> Thank you.